0: Diamond K. Taquanier now presents The Kingdom is Back, Part 1, by Marie Lu.
1: to M&K Talk YA.
0: I'm Marissa Snyder
1: and I'm Katie Bradford
0: and this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast and this week we started a brand new book by Marie Lu. This is called The Kingdom of Back. We read up to the chapter who conducts the orchestra.
1: Yeah and this is I mean it's still solidly in our normal stuff because it's YA and there's a fantasy element but it's also historical fiction like based off real people who really lived in the past that people have heard about and that's kind of fun and different for for us and it's our only standalone that we've done so far
0: What's well, the first for us, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's the first historical novel that Marie Lu has ever written, too.
1: It was actually the first novel she wrote. Did you read about that?
0: Yeah, she said she wrote it, like, ten years ago or something crazy like that.
1: Yeah, it was, like, the first book that she had an agent for, but then it didn't sell. So she wrote it, like, a billion years ago and tried, you know, sent it around to a bunch of publishers, and she was just, like, in love with the story, and she's been, like, reworking it over the years and finally it's out there but I thought that was really cool because I didn't know I didn't know that this was kind of like her first passion you know I mean like this sparked her before all the stuff we know her for
0: yeah and it's kind of interesting you can kind of um see a little bit of herself in this because I was on a panel with her recently and I forgot. I want to hear all about that. (laughs) Well, first of all, I didn't know that it was going to be live on Zoom and that all of our faces would be visible as well. Like the other ones I've done, the host has like disabled audio and video for everyone before you even join. But Mm -hmm. this time wasn't like that. So I signed on. There was like my big dumb face with like my crazy hair and no makeup in my bedroom. And then like next to perfect
1: Marie Lou and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure some of it is just, like, Instagram highlight reel, but I feel like she always looks so put together, mm-hmm. too. Like, even when it seems like she's just being casual, she just, like, has, like, this natural, I don't know, she's just so, like, I just love her.
0: Effortlessly. <laughs> chic all the time yeah
1: um and i forget is marie isn't marie lou the one that you like met and told her her book broke your heart or something okay yeah yeah yeah.
0: and she was horrified (laughs) poor lady
1: what did she talk about in the class
0: well she, she, she talked about the kingdom of back a little bit because it was her first novel and she was talking about how when she wrote it she was like trying to be published and she was very aware of like How much she wanted to be published and how hard it was to get published and i you see so much of that with the main character of this book Mm -hmm. her like desire to um to like have her work mean something and to be remembered and to like have that idea of immortality Mm -hmm. through your work that like carries on after you're gone and so i kind of got that feeling from marie lou where she hadn't been published yet um when she was writing this book and i I kind of see a little bit of herself in that. Like, oh, I really, I want my work to live on after me. Like, I want the world to have something tangible that I created to kind of, like, seal my my imprint on the world.
1: Yeah. Well, and then it's interesting because when you look at the book, too, as much as she wants that, she's also kind of fearful of admitting and sharing her work because Mm of her family and gender and the time period and all this other stuff. But Mm -hmm. I wonder... I can only imagine trying to sell any book, but your first book especially yeah. and like that fear for of sharing it too even though you like want it out there but like you're terrified. I, I I could see feeling both those things.
0: Yeah, cuz you're like afraid of being judged, you're afraid yeah. of how people will receive it, like if this is the work that speaks for you and how you're represented, like it's terrifying. I don't know how
1: writers do it, honestly. <laughs> I know it yeah I get nervous about like writing business emails that someone else is (laughs) gonna have to read half the time and that doesn't even matter I I enjoy writing from like a journaling or like I like write little fiction things that pop into my head but I never share them like have I even let you read anything I've ever written like for real yeah I don't think so and I trust you more than
0: and I get it though
1: (laughs) (laughs) well okay can we talk some more about these author zoom things because you've been doing quite a few of them haven't you (laughs)
0: Yeah, I did a lot through Y'all Stay Home <laughs> Fest, I guess it would be called. It's it was through Y'all West, where they do a lot of really interesting panels, but normally you have to travel to see them and they cost some money and I've never been able to go, but this year they were all on Zoom and they were all digital, so anyone could attend and they were all free. So it was like pretty amazing. I did a keynote with Brandon Sanderson, which was hysterical because he brought his pet parrot who was like trying to eat the buttons off his coat the
1: entire time I love that how (laughs) old is his parrot don't they live for like 50 years or something that's a good
0: question I don't know how old it was but Magellan was its name and it was very entertaining (laughs) um my other favorite one that I really liked was there was one about it was called suckage as part of writing and it was just like about how some of the stuff you write is going to be terrible and, like, what do you do about it? And that was cool because Jay Kristoff and Amy Kaufman were there, And we've read some of their books. So many questions. Yeah. And I felt bad for them because it was like 4 a.m. for them in Australia. And um, Amy Kaufman was in her pajamas, which I
1: appreciated.
0: But also time (laughs)
1: isn't a real thing anymore because everyone's at home and anything can happen at any point and nothing happens ever at the same time. That's the world we live in.
0: exactly. (laughs) Um, but it was just really cool because I've never been to any event where I w- was able to see them live. So it was like really fun seeing their faces and hearing their
1: voices. So, okay, because we've read Jay Kristoff with Amy Kaufman and we've read Jay Kristoff without Amy Kaufman. Right. Now that you've seen them talk together or, you know, like seen them both, do you have any other thoughts about what they each bring to the table? Because I, ca- I still am not sure. I'm so curious to read something Amy Kaufman's written on her own. And or just like explore more because Jay Kristoff's writing on his own felt so different from the Illuminae files to me. Well,
0: and I kind of got that feeling again when I saw them together because my first thought was like, wow, these two people are so different. How did they become writing partners and how did they like become collaborators on the same book? I'm just I'm very curious about like how they even met and how they hit it off because they seem very different at first glance.
1: I'm, like, fascinated by co-writing authors anyways. I just read Anonymous Girl. Have you read that one? No. It's by Greer something and Sarah something. Hmm. They have, like, three books out now. But one of them is, like, a published author who has, like, seven or eight books out. And the other one was her editor for those seven or eight books and then decided she wanted to write and then they decided to write together. And they were talking – I was listening to this podcast they did – they were talking about how they write literally every line together. Like, they – one lives in D.C., <gasps> one lives in New York, and every day they get on – on Google Hangouts and like a Google Doc and they like write on a single document on the phone together.
0: That would take forever to write a book.
1: Right? But it's so fascinating because I feel like a lot of times you read about like they'll write chapters and pass them mm-hmm. back and forth or they'll write perspective you know, one does one character and the other. So I just thought like it made me curious all over again about co writing.
0: Yeah, and what everyone's style is.
1: I did find, um, I was probably it was before we moved to Belgium, so I was probably like in fourth grade and I convinced my cousin so we used to always every time I get together with my cousins we would write and perform a play and I was always in charge of writing it my sister was always the star and like there's certain things that always happen but (laughs) my cousin and I decided we should write books back and forth as like a pen pal thing Hmm. so we started two stories together and like one of us took one and one took the other we were supposed to like write a chapter and then like send it to each other and I stumbled across (laughs) these documents which like Got to three chapters each or something. Um, but I was like, oh, I did used to like. I was a co writer. Yeah, it was kind of cool. <laughs> and really hard.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine because just, I don't know, like, what if you have creative differences and like, what if you have very different writing styles? Like, you have to both be able to write in the style that you agree on. I don't know, it seems like it seems tricky. Well,
1: it's anything when you do when you mix like business and pleasure right like uh when you like co-found a company with a friend or family member I always get nervous too about that stuff and then you add this extra layer of it's not just like the financial stuff and the decision making but I feel like again writing is so vulnerable right yeah. and yeah so it, it is fascinating to me anyways we went off on a huge tangent but so is y'all fest or whatever over now I know you you texted me about it and I kept meaning to look into it more and I'm disappointed in myself that I failed to go to any of them but
0: it is over now but um I think some of the zoom chats were recorded so I think they might be posting them so check on their website I'll send you a link and they might post some of the recordings so you can at least hear the lectures because they were pretty cool i did one on um world building Mm
1: -hmm. as well that
0: marie lou spoke on and that one was cool because she talked about the kingdom of back as well and how it's like her first historical novel and it was like tricky because i feel like there's always an extra layer of complication when you write something that's not a second world fantasy like like someone could check your research and be like oh they didn't eat that in the 18th century whatever um yeah and so she said that like that was definitely a different piece that she wasn't used to because these characters like Nannerl mozart and her family she said like they're not just figments of my imagination like they're real people so you have to kind she said she felt like a sense of duty to get things right
1: that's so interesting too because I feel like authors also talk a lot about how characters end up kind of having a mind of their own once they're Mm. flushed out a little bit you know they like want to do certain things or say certain things or or whatever it is um but it's funny when it's based on history and you have to be like true to that at the same time as you want to like explore the creativity as the character probably wants to do what they want to do, which may or may not be what the actual person wanted to do. Like, (laughs) I I haven't really thought about it in that sense. But, yeah, that does add another layer for sure.
0: So, yeah, I, I love this book because... I think it's very interesting that it is a historical novel but it takes the story of a secondary person in a very famous person's life so instead of dealing with mozart like amadeus wolfgang mozart who we all know this is about his sister Nannerl, who was a really talented musician in her own right but she had to stop performing when she turned 18 simply because she's a woman and it wasn't appropriate for women to you know, be composers or perform around the world when they came of age. So I think this was like a really cool uh, way to write a novel that was historical fiction, but like make a secondary character like very much the star of her own story.
1: Yeah, and you have more of a musical background than I do. Did you know about her beforehand?
0: I knew that he had a sister and that they performed together when they were younger, but that's it.
1: Because I knew basically nothing. Like, if you told me that Mozart had a sister, I would have been like, oh, like, I mean, like, I'd, it doesn't shock me because I didn't even know enough to like think he didn't have a sister. I just like <laughs> never thought about it. Um, So it was like, really cool to think and read about because like, she was a really big deal back in the day too for the yeah. short period of time where she was allowed to I mean, like, they were both these like, musical child prodigies, like, even though she wasn't allowed to explore it and like beyond a certain age because of her gender and the time period and her father and all this stuff, like it wasn't like she was completely, like at the time she wasn't unknown or it wasn't completely unknown at least. Right. And it's just kind of crazy that she kind of has essentially faded and then to like be exploring the story and that's point of view where she wants to be remote. I'm like so curious to see how things go, but I do love that secondary character, but you're seeing someone you've, you know, but I also, I didn't know much about Wolfgang Mozart as a young person either I guess Mm -hmm. I knew he started young or like had a musical gift from a young age but I I guess I just like I don't picture when I hear about like these famous old musicians and any like artists from back in the day I just like don't picture them as like an eight-year-old
0: but see that's funny because I think a lot of people do picture Mozart as an eight-year-old or as a child because he was like this child prodigy who was like composing sonatas at age eight and like was writing symphonies and operas at, a, at, like, such a young age. So, like, I feel like I've always seen him depicted as, like, a young child.
1: I guess that's fair. He would be the one. But,
0: yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good point that, like, this is one story that is trying to, like, remember this woman who was lost to history. And um, I, I remember Marie Lu said something, like, it's so tragic because think of how many other women we've lost to history, who, who were really talented and, you know, had their gifts either overshadowed by another sibling or didn't get the same nurturing or encouragement to, like, pursue their talents. Yeah. It's sad. <laughs> it is. So this book opens in Salzburg, Austria in 1759, and it opens with Nannerl. She's eight, and her brother Mozart is four, And they're just kind of, like, starting to come into their talents.
1: Yeah, but even though they're just starting to come into their talents, it's already such a focus of at least her life right now, right? It seems like her only time she's really spending time with her father is when they're sitting doing music together. (gasps) Mm -hmm. And their relationship is very, like, you can tell that she wants his attention and... um, yeah, approval. That's it. And, you know, he's just so focused on, like, almost the mechanics of it or, like, what she can do for him, like, as a tool to his own, like, wealth and success or fame or whatever. And...
0: because Yeah, it opens with, um, what's that man? Her father's, like, inviting this man to come see natural play to basically see if she's good enough to be, like, paraded in front of the royal court to, like, entertain them. And she plays really well, but he doesn't he basically says like I'm sure she'll play for some nice people one day but he didn't make it he didn't make it sound like she was impressive enough to be famous
1: so question about that do you think he overlooked her in part because she was a woman yes absolutely but then part of me is like, if you have lower expectations for women, shouldn't it be even almost more impressive that they can do these things? <laughs> like, I mean, like, not to us, today, but like, you know, if you're like, oh, women are like a lesser species or something, and then they can do something impressive for anyone, wouldn't it, in some ways, be more impressive? Yeah. It's <laughs> just funny so. to me.
0: <laughs> I thought it was just interesting because, like, I think throughout this whole book, you see Nanarill in direct comparison with her brother and what i'm so curious about is like yes we know mozart was a child prodigy and in this book he you know is composing concertos in his head and Nannerl's like what i can't do that like that's crazy so like clearly he did have some raw talent in quote unquote genius that she didn't but what i think is fascinating is that Nannerl approaches her music with like solid dedication and constant practice and she's trying to work she has to try right she she doesn't just come to her naturally like she has Mm -hmm. to try and she has to practice and she has to work hard to be good but she is really good and so it's like so weird to see her brother like have this gift that comes very naturally and then see Nanarul who has to really practice to be good and it made me wonder like if she were a boy if she had been born a boy like would she have had the encouragement and the attention that she needed to become a star like her brother.
1: Well, I also wonder if their ages had been switched because Mm -hmm. it does sound like um, her dad started her musical education very young, but you have to imagine that Wolfgang was seeing his entire life he was seeing and hearing these lessons and like observing all of this and like looking up to his sister and like she probably didn't ha- like even if she saw music around she wasn't like seeing someone learn it that sa- like you even see in this book there's evidence that he's kind of influenced by her even if he's yeah. like taking it a step further it was coming a little bit easier to him and I, I feel like it's kind of unfair to be like would he have gotten there without her going first also like did totally. she you know she helped soften this footstep or break in the snow or whatever the I can't think of that analogy but
0: <laughs> she's paved the way for him
1: yes <laughs> why can't I talk today it's, I blame quarantine you're like quarantine brain <laughs> I think that's a real thing I'm pretty sure
0: <laughs> um yeah so it's Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, the whole idea of, like, only the worthy become immortal is, like, a very interesting idea that's in this book a lot. And um, we see Nanarul, like, wanting this immortality and wanting to be remembered, but also at the same time, like, feeling not good enough compared to her brother and, like, Mm -hmm. having that fear that she's going to be forgotten and pushed to the side because eventually she will be married and that... And then that's it, essentially. That's like the highest achievement a girl could attain back then, which is so sad. So I'm interested to see how her and her brother's relationship will play out over the next half of this book.
1: Yeah. And the other thing that I love about this book that's also, I think, pretty unique. Not only are we looking at a historical figure from another kind of lens of another real historical figure but lesser known but we're also I feel like it's rare to kind of combine fantasy with not just like the real world but real people this way and I love how we kind of alternate between like you said Austria in the seven late 1700s or whatever and the kingdom of back this place that she's dreamt about or imagined and is telling stories to her brother and then they're both like kind of crossing back and forth between this fantasy world and this real world. And what I love about that is it reminds me so much of some of the books I read when I was like a child. And I don't know, like you walk through the closet or you open a package. And I don't know, just like it, it felt like the books from when I was younger, where characters I knew would like go to this alternate world, but then it's like history and it's real people. And then it's cool because the kingdom of back was like a real thing in their relationship
0: yeah i wasn't i was so curious about that because i was like where did this name even come from and i like that we get a little bit about like oh it's called the kingdom of back because the kingdom is is backwards it's like a mirror to our own but i loved the idea that like in real life mozart and Nanaral created this world like in their imagination
1: and it makes so much sense because again we know that they're both so creative. I mean you know they have this extreme musical ability but then they also have all this like rigid structure and like the poverty and their dad's so strict and like some of this other stuff where like and their kids <laughs> all these reasons why they would like create this alternate world and like tell stories to each other and all of this stuff but then yeah so did you do much research on the kingdom of back do we know like how much was Marie Lou I know that the they created or they talked about the Kingdom of Back. That was like a thing they did, but is this what it was like, or do we know many of the details or
0: I didn't research that. I did some research on Mozart.
1: <laughs> okay, that's fair. No, I didn't research it either. I just like was thinking about it now because I, I did I read enough to like, yeah, see um that that was a thing between the two siblings and they really invented this world and yada yada. But I was like, oh, I wonder how much Marie Lou was able to like find out about what they came up with yeah. versus how much she made up herself. but
0: And I love what she made up. I mean, if it is indeed made up. I mean, I love this idea of, like, there's this fairy princeling, and he is named Hyacinth, and he is helping Nanaral get what she wants, which is to become immortal. But in return, she has to help him, um, like, reclaim his lost kingdom or, like, reclaim his throne.
1: Mm-hmm. So- and again, I love the like flashback between them and the real world telling stories and then mm-hmm. her crossing into the fantasy world and getting more details and how the story is kind of building on itself. And she's like, not sure if it's a dream or what's real mm-hmm. or how, you know, all this stuff. And... I don't know how much of it is because we've read other fairy stories and how much of it is other stuff, but I do not trust this guy.
0: I was going to ask you, like, do we trust and they're not? And I had the same reaction. I was like, this guy <laughs> is bad news. I'm sorry, but he is backstabbing you, Nanaril. You need to get out of this fake world ASAP. <laughs>
1: And I wonder, okay, so I think there's a couple of reasons why I think that. One is because the promise he's made her, depending on how true this is to real life, we know that she does kind of fade into obscurity, right? Mm -hmm. So he doesn't keep his word. (laughs) Yeah. And then two, or else she betrays, or, you know, something goes wrong in our relationship at a minimum. And then two, because I don't trust fairies. We know enough that fairies (laughs) are not good news. (laughs) A fairy prince sounds very dangerous. (laughs)
0: Well, he himself says, tells her like, be wary of what you wish for. Wishes have a habit of surprising their makers. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I I just am very worried about what he's going to do to her. And you kind of see it a little bit already like in this first half because she's like very inspired by this land and she like hears this melody from this land that she's like daring to compose like she's daring to write down this melody and like break her father's rule that women shouldn't compose mm-hmm. so she's like disobeying her father to like get this melody down on paper and you can see that like there was that mo- I I forget when it was but her brother starts to become sick yeah like mozart gets
1: sick after they get the flower from the underground cave and he cuts his finger on the thorn or whatever Yeah! Mm -hmm.
0: So, like, Hyacinth gives her this task, like, you have to get this flower from this, like, sea witch. And then Mozart becomes sick and we see Nanaril, like, in her brother's absence, is playing without him, and, like, she's getting all the attention. And so I was just, like, that's when I first was like, oh no, this guy's no good. If it were up to him, he would, like, kill your brother, and that would be how you became famous. Like, there's always gonna be some catch, or, like, you know, some consequence. again,
1: I totally agree, but I also was suspicious from the moment they said the word fairy. I was like, <laughs> nope. <laughs> Bad idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that's interesting too, because again, that's true. He was like a sickly child, right? That was also mm-hmm. accurate. Um, and I love sibling relationships and stories, and so I think it is so accurate her being the older sibling and being a girl to his boy and being a talented to his genius um Mm -hmm. some of the like jealousies but also the love and protect like she does she loves her brother and she like looks out for him and she wants good things for him but at the same time she does like have this jealousy and she does want to like stand out for herself and that all feels very real to me
0: Absolutely, especially since, like, especially when you see, like, the way her father reacts to her mm-hmm. and the way he reacts to her brother, like, when they were leaving for Vienna and he was like, you need to make sure that your brother stays healthy during this two-week-long journey, like, you need to watch out for him and, like, make sure his health stays good. And then she was, like, waiting for him to say, like, oh, and also take care of yourself, and he just never did. Yeah. He was like, yeah, you're, you're one goal in life is to like keep your brother healthy and I was just like ah, oh,
1: gosh you're so awful and this is so not my actual experience because I always felt loved and seen by my parents but there was this degree of being the oldest sibling and being responsible for the other two like I remember mm-hmm. Like, if Aaron or Megan got in trouble or did something they weren't supposed to, I, like, also got in trouble because I let them or I didn't stop them. Especially, like, if my parent, you know, like, we were, like, all in the basement or, like, I was babysitting. Yeah. Or, and, like, to some extent, I get it. But at the same time, I would be, like, I didn't do anything wrong. They did. And, like, somehow. Right. Like, and so, and that's a little bit different from, like, the health perspective and the fact, like, I, again, my parents wouldn't, like, ignore me or put the put them on this pedestal above me or anything but there is this layer especially because she's what four years older five years older like that's a significant Mm -hmm. age gap of you're responsible for your sibling
0: (laughs) yeah and then also add on the extra layer of her being a woman Mm -hmm. because there was like a moment there was like um a scene where hyacinth steals her notebook and her father scolds her and he's like how will you care for a husband if you can't uh, care for your belongings and it was just like Mm -hmm. Oh, just the idea of, like, a woman's job is to, like, take care of her husband.
1: Yeah. But then I also, again, I mean, mixed is not the right word, but it's interesting that he's even bothering to, like, teach her music and do all this stuff with her since it's not going to go that far. Like, he knows when she marries or when they're looking for a husband she won't be doing music anymore yeah. or she won't make a career out of it or whatever. But in some ways I do like that he has taken the time to teach her because um, you could also imagine he would have been like music's no place for a woman the whole time. Yeah. And she would have had to like learn in secret or something.
0: True. Like she does get that um, chance to play and you know, she does go on tour and as plays for very famous people. And her father does like, I liked the scene where he takes them to the clothing store to get suited up for like their performance outfits. Um, mm-hmm. but I also thought it was really sad too because like her brother just got a coat and like some pants or whatever, and she, it was like the moment where she was getting into puberty, I think, and she was talking about how like her corset was like hurting her, and she and like this huge wig was on her head, and she was like, how can I play the piano and wear this idiotic stuff? And it was just so mm-hmm. interesting that like. The clothes she had to wear as a woman were not conducive to playing the piano at all.
1: They aren't conducive for anything. Back then, they literally just, like, look pretty and maybe stand there if you can keep your breath long enough.
0: Right. But it was just, like, one other example of, like, something stupid like clothing that would, like, prevent a woman from advancing or, or would hinder her in some way. Like, she couldn't even play in the clothes that society demanded she wore.
1: And, I mean, you look at the personality difference, too. Like, her brother, I mean, yes, he is younger, but he, like, almost doesn't even get it. He seems like such this, like, carefree, happy little mm-hmm. child making jokes because he can, because he doesn't get in trouble for any, you know. He's, like, a lot, la- like, people humor him, whereas she's called it out a few times. Like, if she ever said something like that or reacted like that, like, it would be this, like, horrible scandal, basically. Or, yeah. you, know, you know, she'd embarrass her family and her dad and he like doesn't even understand what she's going through which part of me is like come on dude
0: i know and like he's so young (laughs) i get it but i I know yeah we'll see it maybe in the second half if Mm -hmm. we see because he's like upset with her that she won't compose he's like why aren't you sharing your music like your music's really good like he doesn't get that she's not allowed to or that she'd be disobeying her father by doing it
1: and that, again, is such a, like, real sibling relationship to me because he does, like, love and adore his older mm-hmm. sibling and kind of doesn't get his privilege and protection because of the way the whole family has been structured to, like, I don't know. Like, he doesn't have to realize what she's going through, so he doesn't. And, again, he's very young still and, like, you can't fault him for it, but it is just kind of funny. Um, her dad, I thought, was one of the most interesting characters. He's the one I did more research on
0: oh let's hear it
1: so he was born to a f- family of artisans in southern germany and from a young age he was also a talented musician so he was a singer mm. and a violinist and he like performed at school and at church and he was considered very intelligent but for some reason he like he did a six-year program at the gymnasium And it took him seven or eight years to complete it. They're not sure if he was held back once or twice, and they're not sure why, but it seems like he lacked an enthusiasm for academics, and it might have been because he was the firstborn child, and his father really insisted that he should become a priest. But then, at the age of 16, uh, his father unexpectedly passed away, and he could stay in school and go to work at his father's bookbinding business or pursue music, which he already was, like, known for being very talented at. So what do you think he did? He pursued music. Actually, you're wrong. He decided on school. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just thought that was funny. So I don't know if he was, like, trying to please his family or honor his father's memory or keep options open or what, but um, he did ultimately matriculate at the Benedictine University in Salzburg as a student in philosophy. Philosophy and jurisprudence. And then he ultimately got expelled for want of application and poor attendance or something. Oh, so good. instead of going home and like the embarrassment of being expelled, he took a job as a chamberlain and court musician in Salzburg and essentially abandoned his widowed mother and five younger siblings, the family business, and where he was born. So it was, like, very scandalous and brought shame to the family that he just kind of, like, left town to be a musician. Uh, So they didn't approve when he married Anna Marie Pirtle in November 1747. So his mother refused to award her firstborn the dowry that she had given to his siblings when they were married. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess... It really made him mad. He said, all of my brothers and sisters have now married and each received 300 florins as an advance upon my mother's future legacy and I have received nothing. If she fails to give me the money, she can go to hell today or tomorrow. (laughs) Whoa. That's interesting because
0: you hear them complain, not complain, but you hear their family worry about money often in this book.
1: Yeah. So, I, I mean, maybe he assumed that he would get that and when he married and didn't, it like really ruined what I think was already a strained relationship with his mother, but um, he never wrote to her, saw her, or spoke to her again, even though she lived for another 19 years until Wolfgang was 10 years old. Wow. Um. And so, yeah, I, throughout this, at some point, monetary issues became a really big deal to him, and it was, like, sort of the basis of his relationship with his son and a way that he kind of, it, like, represented love and rejection and disrespect and acceptance and all kinds of things, I think, in they assume in leopold's mind um but he worked his way up the musical ladder in salzburg and was named deputy keppelmeister the highest rank he ever attained when wolfgang was seven in 1763 i can't remember has that happened in the book i can't remember his title in the book right now
0: i think so no because mozart's still well no mozart's seven at a certain point because i remember when he's he's like seven and then when he goes to play his father like tells him to say that he's five because yeah oh yeah the older Mm -hmm. they are like the less impressive their skills are so he has them lie about their age
1: yeah so and he used to be a composer he was like a competent but undistinguished composer who gave up composing when wolfgang was six and he was also a violinist before that but i guess he like refused to give lessons except to his children and hated playing at the salzburg court orchestra and whatnot so basically he like put everything into his children slash especially his son um convinced that they would like raise up his social status and bring him wealth and like whatnot so
0: no pressure
1: and then we're kind of seeing this part you know now where he's training his children and like displaying them and like touting them as these really gifted prodigies which to be fair they are very musically talented the other interesting thing was him and his wife they ended up having seven children but only these two made it past infancy so i'm not sure like what effect that had on everything also but i can only like can you imagine losing five children i'm sure it would it could make you distant from your other kids especially if there's like this might have been like part of his coping mechanism to like keep his kids at at arm's
0: length it might be hard
1: to like grow attached to them if you've lost a lot of kids or something I don't know I'm trying to see the see the good side of him um but yeah I didn't really go I was more curious in his background because I didn't want to like spoil too much for myself in terms of this book either but I thought that was some pretty interesting stuff
0: I read that um Mozart's father blamed him for the death of his mother did you read that no I thought this is interesting. So I read... I did some research about Mozart just because I was like... I, we're no, we're going to be talking mainly about Naneral, but I was just kind of like, what, what still don't we know about Mozart? Yeah. Um, so when Mozart was 22, he ended up in Paris. His father sent him to Paris to um, perform and prove himself, continue proving himself. Um, but he was running out of money. And so Mozart and his mother, who was chaperoning him... They could only take up residence in this, like, very cold, dilapidated hotel. And his mother fell ill with a fever, and she died, actually, at the age of 57. And Mm. he was basically, like, alone in Paris with his mother, who had died. And he was, like, way too afraid to tell his father what happened, so he got a friend to tell him the news. And then his father blamed him for her death, and he was like... Well, if she hadn't come with you to Paris, she'd still be alive. And he, like, basically put that, put her death on his shoulders, which is awful.
1: Wow. Yeah. It is, I've read a little bit about her, not much, and I think they mentioned it in the book as well. But she came from, like, a family of musicians, too, or her father was also a skilled musician. Mm-hmm. But he died, I forget how old she was, but when she was still, like, young and living with her mother and sister, and they, um, he had some debt and so they were like in poverty and I read that she also was like constantly ill as a child. Oh. and then she married Leopold and I read something too that they were like considered the handsomest couple in Salzburg. I guess they were a very oh. good looking couple. And she almost died giving birth to Wolfgang. So yeah, he her womb retained the placenta and it's Yeah, that's how you hemorrhage. Yeah, basically when it was forcibly removed especially at that time, extreme risk of fatal infection. Wow. Um,
0: This is so interesting. I read something that I didn't know before about how children were raised. Um, So I guess when Mozart married his wife, she had six children and only two of Mozart's children survived as well. So like... Wow. I think that's interesting that like Mozart's father and mother had only two children who survived and so did Mozart himself. But this is crazy. So... I guess back then, it was very uncommon for women to nurse their own children. Huh. And I knew that, but I assumed that they would, like, give the child over to another woman, like a wet nurse. What did they do? So, Mozart said um, about the birth of his first son, he was like, "'I was very determined that even if she were able to do so, my wife was never to nurse her child. "'I was also equally determined that my child was never to take the milk of a stranger.'" I wanted the child to be brought up on water, like my sister and myself. So I guess... What? It was really common back in the day to feed newborn babies barley water instead of milk. Um, what? And I was like, no wonder all these kids died.
1: That is... I had no idea. That is fascinating and weird. Why did they think women produced milk then?
0: Exactly. I have no idea. It was like very common a very common practice among the middle classes of the time they said to feed children on barley water like what
1: well um another reason i'm glad we don't live in the 1700s yeah exactly (laughs) the list just grows every week i feel like wow um he
0: also um he had a pet starling which i didn't know but i thought that was like actually pretty cool so um Starlings, I guess, can mimic tunes pretty well. And so he <laughs> brought home a starling from a Vienna pet, sh- pet shop. And the reason he bought it was because when he went into the pet store, it was singing a movement from one of his own concertos. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and so That's he was like, hilarious. yes, this is going to be my pet now. Um, <laughs> this is very interesting. So Mozart's father passed away on May 28th, 1787. And Mozart did not go to his father's funeral, but his pet starling died about a week after his father passed away, and Mozart (laughs) had a burial for his, like, beloved starling, and he made people march in, like, a procession covered in black, like, mourning clothes, he made them sing hymns, and then Mozart himself, like, recited a poem that he wrote for his gay and bright starling, who was the love of his life. (laughs)
1: Did Nannerl go to the funeral? The dad's funeral?
0: I don't know. It didn't say that.
1: I would assume so. I read something, so she ended up marrying a widow who had five kids already, and then I think she had, like, two or three more with him, but her dad took her firstborn child and raised him. Why? I don't know. That's, I, like, didn't, because then I decided I, like, went off on this tangent about the dad, but Yeah. I think it was supposed to be just for a short period of time, but he basically, like, never gave the kid back.
0: Oh, my God. I mean, did she think that, like, he was going to teach him to be a musician and, like, maybe that was the case?
1: It didn't seem like it was, like, a super big deal. Like, it didn't okay. seem like she was, like, fighting him for it necessarily. Okay. Like, it seemed like it was just an agreement from the little tiny bit that I read, but it j- just seemed so weird to me. Yeah, um, she gave birth to her first child, a son, who was named Leopold after his grandfather. She had traveled from her home to Salzburg for the birth, and when she returned home, she left the infant in the care of her father and his servants. Wow. Whoa. I guess her dad, I think, was just, like, super controlling of her life, even after she was married. And so I think he said he would prefer to raise the child for the first few months himself. And then he extended the arrangement and continued to care for his grandson. Um, And he did start, like, musical training and stuff. So she saw her son sometimes, but basically wasn't involved in his care until her father died.
0: That's bananas.
1: I think it was only, not only, but I think the kid was, like, two, not, like... 17, but yeah.
0: Still! Well, maybe she was going to feed him barley water and her father was like, no, <laughs> we can do better than that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess there's, there's just like, they don't really know why. It could have been because she had delicate health and already had to care for the five other children. It could have been because hmm. the baby was sick when he was first born, but that doesn't really explain um. why he stayed that long. It could be because... Leopold wanted to get a second chance at creating a child prodigy and whatever. Mm. <laughs> but god, that guy just never gave up. Yeah, it definitely says a lot about their relationship that that happened. Yeah,
0: for sure. Um the other thing that I was struck by was um so Mozart died when he was 35 years old. I'm going to be 35 this year and it's just like what have you
1: done with your life? I know, exactly. It's like
0: <laughs> so unsettling because He was so young when he died, and even, like, within those 35 years, he composed more than 600 works. He has 21 stage and opera works, 15 masses, more than 50 symphonies, 25 piano concertos, 12 violin concertos, 27 um, concert arias, 17 piano sonatas, and 26 string quartets. Wow. I mean, he was just so prolific. That's crazy. It's it's incredible. And it's just also so sad to think of like what else he could have done if he had lived longer. Yeah.
1: It's um I forget. There's like some analogy about like people who burn strong and bright and then let you yeah. know, versus like slow and long or whatever. But yeah. so do you know, did they stay close? I like read differing things that said Wolfgang and all stayed. Attached.
0: Oh, I didn't read anything about that. And then I
1: read something that said, like, they didn't visit each other or meet each other's children at the end. So, like, not that there was... Mm. It doesn't sound like there was a big blow-up, but it just sounds like they, like, kind of drifted apart. Like, they still seem to talk of each oh. other fondly. But she hadn't met one of her nephews, at least, until after her brother died, which I thought was kind of interesting.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I know Mozart had a really good relationship with his wife, um, Constance constant how
1: did they meet or what i don't know anything about her
0: i don't know that much about her either but i know that like she was like he considered her like a very important partner like not just a wife they it seemed like they had a, a really good relationship
1: did his dad approve probably not just from what we've read about his dad would, would he approve of anyone <laughs> <laughs> a woman acting like his partner instead of letting the dad dictate everything i don't think so Wait, did you also read about how they, like, were really into, like, um, scatology or something? No. Okay, I read some really weird poems, like, all the Mozarts, <laughs> like, his mom, him, Nannerl, like, some random first cousin, they all, like, really enjoyed making jokes and stuff about poop.
0: <laughs> oh, I did hear <laughs> like, that. I did hear yeah. that. Like, he made a lot of fart jokes.
1: Yeah, it just like seems like such a funny detail to like run in the family and maybe it was really popular in the seventeen hundreds in general, I don't know enough, but
0: that lowbrow um. humor. <laughs> um I did read that at the the early part of their courtship did not go very smooth between Mozart and Constance. Um, they briefly broke up because I guess Constance permitted another young man to measure her calves in a parlor game and Mozart broke up with her briefly in like a fit of jealousy. <laughs>
1: Oh my goodness. <laughs> Again, what does that say about the time?. Ugh.
0: But I'm curious to see how Mozart and his sister's relationship changes in this book through the second half, and how Hyacinth's antics play into
1: that. What do you predict?
0: Well, okay, I definitely don't trust Hyacinth, and I think what I'm very like curious to see is I wonder if Mozart is going to like want to stop going into this world. Because, like, it keeps getting da- more and more dangerous. Because, like, first they have to free the sea witch. And then they have, she has to, like, get a sword from an ogre. And both of these creatures are, like, I'm not sure if if
1: they're actually bad. Yeah. There's definitely, we're definitely not getting the whole story. No,
0: no. Because, mm-hmm. like, even the sea witch, who I love that she's named the Queen of the Night from um, Mozart's The Magic Flute. Um, But she's, like, crying, and she's like, please free me, please free me. And then even the ogre, like, looks really sad, and there's a moment where she's just like, who is really the monster here? Like,
1: I'm not quite sure. Yeah, because wasn't the ogre trying to, like, help someone in his dream?
0: Yeah, he gives her the
1: sword. Yeah, yeah, so she doesn't buy his story. Yeah, I... So here's what I think is going to happen. I think they are going to keep going back, and I think ultimately... Hi, is going, I think he's going to basically, I think Nanderl's going to have a decision between her wish and her brother, and she's going to choose her brother.
0: Yeah, I think you're right.
1: I don't know exactly what it looks like, but I, I love the backstory. I love, like, the story they're make, they made up about the twins being born and the queen being kidnapped yeah. and, like, that, and then I love the sea witch and the ogre, and like you said, we're not really sure if they're good or bad, or... I definitely don't think they're as bad as they seem to be, but there are, there's at least two sides to these stories they are, like, not black and white. And it's just so cool to see. I love, like, legends and stuff, and this feels like we're living in a legend or a fairy tale. Absolutely.
0: And, like, the other thing that I will say that um, I noticed about this book was I think this book is very beautifully written, and mm-hmm. as much as I love Marie Lu, that's not something that I've noticed in her other books. Like, they've always been very plot-driven and, like, very um, – fast-paced and exciting and I feel like this book is such a nice slower pace and it's like much mm-hmm. more introspective and she has like it's almost like she has time now to like create these like very beautiful images and like actually write beautiful sentences and it's it's so interesting yeah. that she wrote this book first because it really doesn't feel like it in a lot of ways. Like I I read this mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my gosh, like she's really taking time to like craft beautiful words when she's writing, which like I so admired. Um so I just thought that was interesting, but um
1: I, I was I was impressed. Or maybe it's because she was able to spend twelve years revising maybe. it now. It's <laughs> like so But I agree. I think if I didn't know it was Marie Lou, I would actually be surprised it was mm-hmm. Marie Lou and not be, like I I'm loving it and I loved her other stuff but it does feel like a very different kind of voice and style but I'm like really impressed I agree and I think not just some of the images but even some like you said it's very introspective and some of those like questions are like the way she kind of captures these emotions or these like kind of complicated like I feel this and that at the same time mm-hmm. or like I'm seeing this but thinking that or I can't think of any good examples but there were multiple places where Nana just kind of like feeling something that I can relate to so much Mm -hmm. especially as like a you know young girl and obviously I didn't grow up in this extreme of a world but I think there are still like it's there's a lot of just like identity questions and like you know it's just yeah I think she does there's a lot of stuff that just like resonates at a deeper level than I think her other writing Mm -hmm. has
0: and that's like a great like a mark of a good writer you know like you can find similarities between people who live in very different worlds like we can still relate to nanoroll even though she is from a completely different time period
1: yeah it would be really interesting if marie lu wrote some kind of short story where people from legend this story and Warcross like all interacted because can you imagine that (laughs)
0: that'd be a hell of a crossover (laughs) they'd be so confused by each other oh my gosh june would have no patience for nanoroll
1: yeah no she would not at all she wouldn't even talk to (laughs) nanorill
0: she'd be like please no you know who would um really hate nanorill is adelina she'd be like please disobey your
1: father please
0: (laughs) 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 Uh, well what's sad is we only have half a book left and then we're done
1: i know it's so weird i mean it's fun and whatever but it's also weird to i like keep thinking we're gonna be able to research all this other stuff and especially because we're actually in a place where we have like real people to research this time um it's kind of funny that we only have one book
0: i know so we'll have to start thinking of a fan name now and i guess pick our favorite scenes oh yeah i already have a favorite scene my favorite scene was um when hyacinth called down those strings And then they turn into hooks and they like hooked them into the sky and like he lifted her into the stars. I was like, that's pretty cool. That was really cool.
1: This would be a fun world to visit. You know how sometimes we're like, oh, I wouldn't want to live there. I mean, I don't know if I'd want to live there, but I think it would be a cool place to visit.
0: I agree. Definitely.
1: I don't know if I have my favorite scene yet. I want to, I'm curious. I feel like it keeps getting better in a lot of ways, (laughs) So I hope that my favorite scene is still to come. I love the two moons over the ocean Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Just a lot lot of cool imagery.
0: Or even just like the image of like these two very small children like playing before royalty. Like, yeah, I can't imagine the pressure you would feel. I
1: get I like get anxious because I don't like performing in front of an audience. And like every time she does, I'm like,
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, and it's always like and it's up to you to like increase our family standing and make sure we don't we're not on the streets. Like it was just so much pressure to put on them.
1: And again, they're young children, and I don't... I mean, like, you can practice it a million times the right way, and I loved, like, when her brother, like, walked into the room and, like, kind of distracted her and and distracted the audience. It's like, there's so many things you can't control, right? Like, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm excited to read more.
0: Me too. Um, did you ever see The Red Violin, the movie The Red Violin?
1: I haven't seen any movies. You know this. I haven't even heard of this okay. one, though. What is, what is it?
0: It, like, reminds me of this a little bit, just because it's about a violin that like passes through a lot of people's hands and it's like different time periods. And at the very first one is like this little boy who has to play this violin in front of like the King or whatever. And he has to go in and like basically prove that he's worthy. It reminded me so much of this book and I, well, I won't tell you what happens, but it just go watch the red violin. It's a very, it's a very good
1: movie. It's good. It isn't on any of the platforms that are, (sighs) Good question. I'll have to look. Okay. I'll check it out later.
0: Cool. Um, so what else do we have to do? I think that's it. I know I have to tell you a joke. Yeah. I think it's my turn. Okay. Um, this joke came from my mom. Ooh, yay. Yeah. Um, okay. What does a thesaurus eat for breakfast?
1: Words and sounds. I don't know what. Synonym (laughs) rolls. That sounds delicious. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Thanks, Mom.
1: That was a good one. Did she come up with that herself or did she hear it somewhere? She
0: just, like, sent me
1: a little... "Mm." (laughs) Love it.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, I guess we will keep reading and we're going to finish the book next week.
1: Oh, you know what else we should talk about next week? What? Imaginary worlds we created as children.
0: Oh, yes. I love this idea. Or just, like weird imaginary games or things you created exactly yeah like what you and your
1: siblings did when they were creating the kingdom of back yeah and uh, reader or readers listeners people who are reading the book and listening to this um should send us their ideas too
0: yeah send us imaginary worlds that you've created (laughs) Um, you can do that by emailing us at mnktalkya at gmail.com
1: we're also on facebook or instagram at mnktalkya Bye, bookworms.
0: Go get a library card.